listening. It is comfortable in here and will be all day long. And uh, so if you need a place to hide from the heat, come on back and uh, just let me know and we'll make sure that you can get in. Uh, there is a group that meets here at 2 o'clock for a Bible study and they probably let you join them um, in the middle of the afternoon in the middle of that heat. In way of announcements, um, I want to reiterate if you have not brought back your baby bottle for the Caring Pregnancy Center, we have grace. Bring it as soon as you can. Empty, half full, whatever it is, completely full. Uh, bring in your uh, em- bottles because they'd like to have those bottles back. They'd also like to have the money in them, but they like to have the bottles so they don't have to spend the money on buying, on buying more bottles next year. Summer camps uh, for Grace International, they've been on, on uh, hold for two years. And so a junior camp uh, begins on J- July the 6th, um, and that's for the boys and girls going into the second, third, and fourth grade in the fall. And uh, if you know any children, second, third, and fourth grade, round them up and uh, let's send them to camp. Uh, we have some scholarships that have been available. Individuals have made some donations, and so uh, money will not be a problem. It's getting really loud. You can turn me back down a little bit. Um, money will not be a problem. Um, so, um, and there's some registration forms, and if you'd like to go and be a counselor or worker on the campgrounds, there's a form to fill out, and you need to get those filled out as ASAP because on the back side you have to fill out a thing and they will do a background check on you because that's what the insurance company requires and even though you've done a hundred of them well maybe not a hundred but I've done a background check for this and that and this and that and this but it all goes to the same place but every year they do again so um, take note of that if you plan on being part of that bring in your sneakers Brenton and then the last announcement is Fireworks begins this week, and um, the tent should be coming any moment, maybe, hopefully today, sometime, and then, uh, because I believe the fireworks are supposed to show up tomorrow for us to stock on the shelves to be ready for the fire marshals to inspect on Tuesday morning, and at noon, the sales begin, and appreciate all the help you can give us in any way, shape, or form. You can pray, you can come and work in the tent, you can come and wave people in off the street. Um, you can send all of your children, your grandchildren, your neighbors to buy from here. Uh, we just appreciate that uh, very, very much. I think that's all the announcements I'm going to make at the moment. If I've forgotten anything, you can read the bulletin. That's your cue to say amen. Yes, I will do that. I will do that. This morning I want to start by sharing with you a parable written by Max Licato, one of my favorite authors and preachers. And um, he has a way with words that I do not have. So I want to share this parable that he created to go along with the message that we have this morning. Every sailor could agree on one fact. Had it not been for the captain, they never would have survived. The storm came suddenly And in a matter of moments, holes were broken, decks were washed, sailors were floundering. 
But as quickly as the storm arose, so came the captain, maneuvering his large vessel between the waves and rescuing one sailor after another. Before they knew it, they were deposited safely on an island, listening to the instructions of the captain who said, There are more still at sea. You stay here till I return. Build a tall fire using the trees of the island to keep yourselves warm and to send a beacon for those who need safety. Of course, the sailors were happy and quick to oblige, and they set about the task of building a large fire. Then they waited and waited and waited. The longer they waited, the more their gratitude passed. Their thankfulness turned into restlessness, and appreciation for the captain mutated into aggravation with each other. No one could remember exactly when the argument started, but it had something to do with the captain's instructions. Did he say to use only trees for the fire, or mostly trees for the fire? As they began to discuss it, they couldn't agree. Some said, surely he meant trees only. He said, build a fire made out of trees. Others said, a little brush and some grass and leaves won't hurt. He'll understand. Mostly trees won't hurt. Conversation led to opinion. Opinion led to discussion. Discussion led to dispute. Dispute led to debate. Soon debate led to division. And there were two fires on the island. There was the trees only fire and the trees mostly fire. Peace returned to the island for a short time until dispute broke out in the trees only camp. One day in conversation, someone said, I'm sure he wants us to use cypress trees only in the fire because after all, he gestured to some cypress trees as he spoke. Another said, but he was standing closer to an elm tree. Still another said, the predominant tree on the island is oak. Surely there are to be oak trees in our fire. Conversation led to opinion. Opinion led to discussion. Discussion led to dispute. Dispute led to division. Soon the trees only camp splittered into three other camps. Elm only. Cypress only, and oak only. Things didn't get much better on the southern end of the island, where the trees mostly camp was. They didn't have trouble with the contents of the fire, but they had conversation and conflict over the height of the fire. The captain had left instruction to build a tall fire. How tall is tall? One person's definition of tall and another's might not be the same. So in short order, new fires were started, each in different heights. In time, the island was freckled with small fires rather than one large fire. The captain, who had been watching this from the ocean, shook his head and sighed. Were it not so true, the story would be bizarre. But one needs not spend much time in the Christian faith before he notices a lot of fires on this island. Some of these fires are necessary and good, 
But to reach the world, you have to go into the world. Sending sailors to start new fires in areas where there are none is right and good. But some of the fires we see are not there by purpose or intention, but as a result of division. This is not a new problem. Even before the crucifixion of Christ, disciples were arguing about who was in and who was out. End of quote. I share that parable because it's kind of a mirror of what was going on in Romans chapter 14 and 15 when Paul is addressing the church in Rome. And, and, and in chapter 14, he starts out by the, he talks about the stronger welcoming the weaker. And what he's talking about is, he's talking about these individuals who have different opinions about dietary rules and holy days and holy Sabbaths. The weaker people, the weaker of faith, the weaker of faith, their understanding was, yes, Jesus died on the cross, and we need to embrace Jesus as our Savior, but we need to keep all these ceremonial laws that we kept when we were growing up in Judaism. We need to, no pork, no ham, everything must be kosher. And we need to keep all of the festivals that Jesus or God told us to keep in memory of the things that God did. And then Paul said there's a strong group who understand that all of those festivals and uh, celebrations were a picture of Jesus to come. And when Jesus came, died on the cross, and rose from the grave, all of those things became obsolete. That's what Hebrews says. Because now we have a new and better covenant. And we're not beholden to keep all of those special days because now every day is a holy day in Jesus Christ. And the food? Jesus himself said it's not what goes in the person that defiles him. And, and the scripture says, he said this to tell us that we could eat anything. And then Peter had that vision where all of those forbidden things came down on the sheet. And God told him three times to eat it. And he said, no, it's not kosher. But he said, don't call anything I've made unclean. So these people who are stronger in their faith, they understand I have the freedom to eat shrimp, lobster, crab if you want, barbecue, baby back ribs. And last time I talked about this, somebody got really hungry and then they had to go find something to eat. But, so I, I'll, I'll go on. And, but and we'll just leave the food behind. Uh, Paul began addressing this division that was in the, uh, in between the Jews and, and the Gentiles in uh, chapter 14, verse 1. And he continues through uh, chapter 15, verse 13. If you want to get real technical about the context, I think it really starts back in 12, 1, where he said, where he makes that transition from talking about what it means to be saved to what it means to live out our salvation. I beseech you, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto the Lord. And, and so he and begins to talk to us about what love looks like. What love looks like. And, and 
that's what the title of the message I chose for about four weeks, and it's really continuing on, but I gave a different title this morning. And the first note is this. He's come down to this point where he said, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. In chapter 14, he gave us several things that we needed to know about living in unity. But he comes down to chapter 15 and he said, Jesus is our example. Jesus is our example. Before we get into the text, I want to uh, consider just for a moment what Jesus had to say to the disciples on the night before the crucifixion. Did Jesus know he was going to die the next day? He'd already told the disciples at least three times he was going to go to the cross. If it's your last 24 hours, what are you going to do? What are you going to say? What are you going to talk about? Jesus gathered the 12 together, partake of the Passover meal. And in that Passover meal, he kind of says this, this is coming to an end because now this bread is my body and this cup is my blood that's shed for you. It was during that time he told them about the fact it's best for you that I go away because the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to be in you. And he will guide you into all truth. And, and, and he will help you to live the life that I've called you to live. And, and he said, I give you a new commandment that you love one another as I have loved you. He, on the way to the Garden of Gethsemane, as he talks about the, the vine and the branches, he said, I'm the vine and you're the branches. Abide in me. Let my word abide in you. And then at the entrance of the garden, before he goes in to pray that final prayer, Father, not my will, he prays in John chapter 17, the great high priestly prayer. He prays for himself, and then he prays for the 11 with him, and then he prays for you and me. But I want you to see one aspect of that prayer that is repeated several times. John chapter 17, verse 11 He's saying to the Father, and I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. That they may be one, even as we are one. You might want to underline that in your notes, or if you opened your Bible to that, that they may be one even as we are one. Skipping down to verse 20. I do not ask for these only, but also for those who believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you've sent me. Verse 22. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one, even as we are one. Verse 23. I and them, you and me, that they may be perfectly one, so the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. Going back to the parable, Max Lucado, 
The point of this story is something like this. Our job is to build a fire high enough that anyone lost can see it and warm enough that anyone cold can be warmed by it. And the only way to do that is to live in unity. The unity of the church is of supreme importance to Jesus. Four times in those four verses, Lord, make them one. Father, make them one as we are one. Father, make them one as we are one. Jesus said, it won't be your beautiful buildings. It won't be your snazzy programs. The thing that will attract new believers is this. Jesus said it's our unity. Our unity. The unity of the church. And I'm not just talking about this building. I'm talking about the unity of the church. Those who call themselves followers of Jesus Christ. It was on that same night that he prayed, Lord, make them one. I told you a few moments ago that John 13, 34, 35, he said to them, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you. You are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you're my disciples if you have love one for another. There's that unity thing. The thing that declares to the world, those who don't know Jesus, that Jesus is alive, that Father sent him, is when we love each other and we dwell together in unity. And we have this one purpose, to exalt the Lord Jesus Christ. With those thoughts in mind, we come to Romans chapter 15, verse 1. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Let each of us please his neighbor for his good, to build him up. For Christ did not please himself, but as it is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. For whatever was written in former days was written for instruction that through endurance through the encouragement of the scriptures, we might have hope. May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus, that together you may have one voice, glorified the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. As I'm reading that, um, that one word sticks out to me that I want to mention back in verse 5, back up one if you can, in the negative, the minus. Thank you. Grant you to live in such harmony with one another. Sometimes when we talk about unity, people come to the conclusion we all must look alike, walk alike, talk alike, dress alike. But the kind of unity he's talking about is more of a symphony where all of our differences put together. Harmony 
That's when more than two people or two instruments are playing the same song, but different notes in the chord, so you have the fullness of sound. So when I'm talking about unity today, don't worry about you have to look like me, walk like me, talk like me. You've got to be you. But our purpose is the same. The gospel of Jesus Christ. Okay, you can go back to where we're supposed to be. Point number one. Paul says, we need to choose to please your neighbor rather than yourself. Choose to please your neighbor rather than yourself. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. Under obligation, he says. Remember, the strong people are the folks who believe they have the freedom to eat what they wish and not worry about the old covenant calendar days. Paul said, hey, you folks, people like me, he calls himself one of the strong. We are under obligation to please our brothers and sisters in Christ rather than ourselves. Now for folks who believe that they're the ones who are right always and must always have their, their way, this is a bitter pill to swallow. But the path that leads to unity is preferring one another. How counter to the culture that we live in is this precept and concept to choose to please others. The proof of Christ in this is our ability to respect and appreciate our differences. Our tendency is to think, well, I've got it all together. If you just be like me, we'd all, be, we'd all get along wonderful. We all think we're the one that's right. Jesus' way is to listen to the other person and honor them first. Paul wrote to the church in Philippi, verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interest of others. Here in America, I have my rights, is the rally cry. In fact, that cry is being lifted all over the nation today. I have my rights. Well, sometimes the biblical thing to do is to give up your rights for the sake of a brother or sister that they might be edified, they might be built up. We tend to be like little boys who were hungrily waiting for mom's pancakes one morning. Kevin was five and Ryan was three. And the boys in their hunger began to argue over who's going to get that first pancake that comes out of the frying pan. Mom saw it as an opportunity to, to teach them a spiritual lesson. She said, if Jesus were sitting here, he would say, let my brother have the first pancake. I can wait. Kevin immediately turned to his little brother, Ryan, and said, that's a good idea, Ryan. You be Jesus. (laughs) 
Placing our brother against, above ourself goes against the grain, doesn't it? And it's been a problem forever. I read the story that comes from the 1800s. There were two deacons in a small Baptist church in Mayfield, Kentucky. They didn't get along, and they always opposed each other in any decision the church made. And uh, in the Baptist circle, the deacons are people who get to make some decisions. And, and one particular Sunday, one deacon put a small wooden peg on the back wall for the preacher to hang his hat on. When the other deacon discovered that small peg, he was outraged and he left the church. The church split and a new church was formed called the Anti-Peg Baptist Church. It'd be funny if it wasn't true. But cypress trees, elm trees, tall fire, short fire, Unity starts with pleasing our neighbor instead of ourselves, providing it's for the right reason. Now, now Paul, when he was, he was talking to the Corinthians, or the Galatians, and, and there was some, some people there with false doctrine trying to get them to go back to, basically go back to the, the bondage of Judaism that they'd been set free from. And... Uh, he makes this statement in Galatians, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Am I trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. And he's talking about here in this context, I'm not trying to live for the approval of men, I'm trying to live for the approval of God. What That kind of... When I'm looking for the approval of men to, for my self-esteem, then we come close to getting over in the codependency issue. My self-esteem comes from my relationship with Jesus Christ, God the Father. So when I'm honoring my friend, my neighbor, it's not about me at all. It's not about my position in life, it's because Christ is in me and I'm going to serve their need. We put God's purposes over pleasing ourselves. A sub-point is that we put God's purposes over pleasing ourselves. We who are strong have an obligation to bear with the failings of the weak and not to please ourselves. As we go on, point number two is this, change my lifestyle it will, if it will contribute to the spiritual good of the other person. Change my lifestyle if it will contribute to the spiritual good of the other person. Verse 2 said, Let each of us please his neighbor for his good to build him up. There's a passage where Paul talks about the fact if my brother can't eat meat, and he's convinced in his heart that he sins if he eats meat. I'm not going to eat meat in front of my brother. Change his lifestyle. If he's all about being a vegetarian, I'll be a vegetarian when I'm with him because I don't want to offend him. If I had the time this morning, I could take a number of scriptures where it reiterates the fact that God's intention 
is for us to live as a community of believers, a family of believers, a body of believers, building each other up. Years ago in the 1960s, 1950s, there was a popular song in the church. Um, it's Jesus and me on the Jericho Road. Uh, j- just two of us, just room for the two of us. I don't remember all the words because that was too far back there. But um, it's really not the way God intended for it. God intended for it to be Jesus and the body of Christ, all of us together. Ephesians 4, 11. I didn't have room for it in your notes, so you'll have to look at it on the screen or flip in your Bibles real quickly. And he, that's Jesus, gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, and teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for building up the body of Christ. And then verse 13, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God, to mature manhood, to the measure, the stature, the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head, into Christ from whom the whole body, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. Verse 29 in the same chapter says this, Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up as fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. Then Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25. And let us consider how to stir up one another. There's no comma or period there. How to stir up one another to love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, but encouraging one another And all the more as you see the day drawing near. Jesus prayed, and his his will for the church, and each and every believer is that we contribute to the spiritual good of every brother and sister in Christ. We have an obligation to each other to build each other up. We have an obligation to put up with each other. I've got a few feet less amens there. But that's what this is saying. Follow Jesus' example, number three. Follow Jesus' example. For Christ did not please himself, but as is written, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me. He did not please himself. If there was ever a man who had the right to do whatever he wanted, wherever he wanted, whenever he wanted. It was the perfect man, the Son of God, living in the flesh. 
But Jesus made the decision, I am not going to live to please myself. In John 8, verse 29, Jesus said, I always do the things that please him, speaking of the Father. In John chapter 4, verse 34, when he's at the, at the well of, at Sychar, and the lady is converted, and the disciples went to get lunch, and they come back, and Jesus said, thanks, I'm really not hungry anymore, because... He said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. In John 6, 38, he said, I've come down from heaven not to do my will, but the will of him who sent me. Here in in verse 3 of uh, chapter 15, this quote, when it says, the reproaches of those who reproached you fell on me, that's a quote from Psalm 69. And if you read Psalm 69, it's one of those messianic psalms. One of messianic, I'm meaning this, it's prophetic of the things that will take place in the life of Jesus. And, and what he's saying is, those things that they cast reproach on God, they fell on me. They fell on me. Remember the words of Isaiah? Isaiah 53.3, I think I put this on the screen. He was despised and rejected by men a man of sorrows acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Jesus came, and he allowed himself to experience reproach because he didn't come to... He came to serve. He came to minister. Did Jesus endure the whip, the nails and the cross to please himself? I don't think any man would do that to please himself. Every time we take up communion here in this house, we're reminded that Jesus did not live to please himself. He lived to please the Father for our benefit. It was all about you and I being saved from the curse of sin, the curse of death, and eternal damnation. A few moments ago, we read from uh, Philippians chapter 2. I want to read on in Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 says this, Have this mind among yourself, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, Being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Have you ever read that and thought, well, he was God. I mean, he's Jesus. Sure, he could pull off dying on the cross thing. Don't miss the part, he emptied himself. He laid aside deity. He lived as a man, submitted himself fully to the purpose of the Father, dependent upon the Holy Spirit to guide him, direct him. And here's the good news. When we choose to follow Jesus' example, he will give us the power to do it. Because, number four, there's power in the Word of God. There is power in the Word of God. For whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures we might have hope. Reading 
and embracing the scripture. When I say embracing, put it into practice. That is where I find power to put others before me. Reading and embracing the scripture is where I find the power to endure life's problems and people's weaknesses and mine. Just in case you think the Old Testament is obsolete, the scripture that Paul is referring to is the Old Testament scriptures. When he's writing this, the New Testament did not exist. I mean, he's writing a letter that he doesn't know is going to be part of the canon a couple centuries later. What he's talking about is the law of Moses, talking about the writings of the, the poetry and the history and all of that, and he's talking about all the prophets. He said all of this was written for our example. All of this was written to encourage us, to strengthen us. Here's a statement I want you to think about. It's impossible to mature as a Christian without allowing the Word of God to enter your life. It is impossible to mature as a Christian without allowing the Word of God to enter your life. Peter told the people he was writing to, like newborn infants, long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation. You may grow up. Apostle Paul takes one church to task. He said, you're still drinking milk and you should be eating meat. But he's talking about the word. Living by the word. Doing the word. In the word of God, we find hope, everlasting hope. Because heaven and earth will pass away. But God said, my word is forever. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my word is forever. God's word will never return void. It will accomplish what he sent it to do. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Back in um, Romans 12, 2, Paul said, Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do you renew your mind? By putting in the word. Reprogramming. It's like a computer. Whatever you put in there. There's power in the Word of God. And the path for unity must go through the Word of God. Number five. Join with Jesus and Paul praying for a spirit of unity. Join with Jesus and Paul Praying for a spirit of unity. Verse 5 said, May the God of endurance and encouragement grant you to live in such harmony with one another in accord with Christ Jesus. To live in harmony with one another, in accord with Christ Jesus. I want to read it from the NIV if you put the next slide up. Oh, there it is. Right? Go back. You already, you'd already got there. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. As you follow Christ Jesus. In accord with Christ Jesus, as you follow Christ Jesus. Now there are a number of things in terms of personal preferences that we may not see eye to eye on. And that's the diversity it makes the beauty of the body of Christ. 
But there's one thing that unites us. There's one thing that unites us with Calvary Community down the street, with New Life down the street, with the Church of God clear down in 46th. We are all following Jesus. We all come into the kingdom through the blood of Jesus Christ. And we're following him. It's all about Jesus. Which brings me to the second part of Paul's prayer for the church in Rome. That they would have a, a unified, they'd be unified worshipped. A unified worship. Verse 6 says this, So that with one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. With one heart and mouth you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul understands that, that worship will not be what it's meant to be unless there's a spirit of unity. You remember Acts chapter 2? Acts chapter 1, Jesus said, Go wait in Jerusalem until power comes on you. And the King James says in Acts 2.1, And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound of a mighty rushing wind, and cloven tongues of fire set on them, and they were baptized in the power of the Holy Spirit. We gather here to worship God. You say, yeah, duh. Sometimes we make it more about us than about the Heavenly Father. And we all have that tendency. When we come on Sunday morning, Wednesday night, any other time, we prayerfully choose songs to declare praise to Him. Now I realize we all have our favorite songs and our favorite genre of songs, but remember, worship is not about us. In fact, it's really not worship unless it's something that cost me something to give to the Lord. Remember, David said, I'm not going to give anything that doesn't cost me something. Worship is about glorifying God the Father. Psalms 133 tells us that, that God bestows His blessing where people dwell together in unity. That psalm starts out how love it is when Brothers dwell together in unity like the dew on Mount Hermon. But the last verse, verse 3 said, God bestows his favor, his grace, his presence on those people. We pray for unity and unified worship because we long for the presence and the power of God. I'll run that by you again. We long for the presence and the power of God to be released in our, in our lives, in our city, in our county, across our state and across this nation and around the globe. Our world is in desperate need of the presence and the power of God being exalted again. Number six, Accept one another. Accept one another. Therefore, welcome, or the NIV says, accept one another as Christ has welcomed or accepted you for the glory of God. 
This goes back to Romans 14.1 where we started this section where he said, As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him or accept him, but not to quarrel over opinions. There's so much that takes place in the body of Christ that's a matter of opinions, matter of preference, things that are not, not addressed by Scripture. Do you know that the churches have been divided over the color of carpet or the color of, of the pews or chairs now? Purchased these chairs to get rid of the pews 20-some years ago. And my dad comes to me and said, somebody told me that they're going to leave the church if you take out the pews. So what am I supposed to interpret that when my dad says to me, somebody's going to leave the church if you take out the pews? So when he went to heaven, the pews went. But my point is, well, you get my point. You get my point. There are people who've left because I didn't preach from the King James Bible. And they had proof that that is the Holy Bible. There are their research wasn't real good. It was tainted a little bit. Um, but we need to accept one another. I know that some people were raised in the King James and they don't want to leave it. I accept them. I'm going to read from the scriptures that people are going to understand. I don't have to explain the, the language. That's just, but that's just, and if you're King James, I hope you accept the fact that I'm going to preach from the SV, the NIV, the NLT, whatever happens to fit the occasion. We're going to get along. We're not going to major on our opinions. We're going to major on our worship of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to welcome one another. We're going to accept one another. There was a lady who wanted to bring a monkey to live in her house. Her husband objected. He said, you mean he's going to eat at our table? She said, yeah. He said, you mean that monkey's going to sit in our living room? She said, yeah. He said, you mean that monkey's going to sleep in our bed? She said, yeah. He said, what about the stink? She said, I got used to you. I suppose the monkey will too. I thought I just needed to lighten up the moment, okay? <laughs> Letter A. We must accept one another as Christ accepts us. We must accept one another as Christ accepts us. Part of Paul's teaching here is that none of us is perfect. Accepting one another is more than meeting under the same roof. That verb, letter B, that verb accept or welcome literally means to receive into someone's heart. To receive into someone's heart. You do not agree to disagree, then never talk to each other. We accept one another into our hearts. 
It's the same word that Paul used in Philemon, verse 17, when Paul urges Philemon, accept Onesimus, the slave, as if he were accepting Paul himself. It's the verb that is used in Acts 28 when Luke describes how the citizens of Malta received those who were shipwrecked. Most importantly, it's the same verb that Jesus uses in John 14 too, when he said, if I go away, I'll prepare a place for you, and if I come back, I'll receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. Jesus accepts us on the grounds of Calvary. He accepts us on the grounds of Calvary. We come equipped with nothing more than our confession and admission of sin. And we accept this wonderful and endless grace. The acceptance of Christ is not unconditional. We talk about his unconditional love. But his acceptance is not unconditional. Now, there's a bit of pop psychology that teaches us that we need to accept people unconditionally. Jesus does not accept people unconditionally. There's a condition to be accepted into the beloved. His acceptance is conditioned upon your repentance and your faith. His acceptance is conditioned upon your repentance and your faith. Our acceptance of people, we accept whom Christ accepts. We accept whom Christ accepts. If they have Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, by the confession of their mouth and and the belief in their heart, they're the family. They're the church of Jesus Christ. Letter seven, or number seven, Jesus is the hope for everyone. He's the hope for everyone. Paul wants the Jews and the Gentiles and Romans to know that Jesus died for both of them. He accepts both of them. And to make his point, he quotes passages from the Old Testament, from three different sections of the Old Testament. He quotes from the, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, the Septuagint, and, he, and he, from the books of the law, from the books of the prophets, and the books that are called the writings. As we read this, I want to point some things out. Romans 15, verse 8 says this, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. That's Psalms 1849. I put that so you just know that reference. Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles. And then he goes on in verse 10, and again it is said, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. That's from Deuteronomy 32:43. I want you to know that word Gentiles. This is in Deuteronomy. This is when they're still wandering in the desert. Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And then verse 11 says, And again praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples extol him. Extol the Lord. That's Psalms 117, verse 1. And then verse 12, And again Isaiah said, The root of Jesse will come. Even 
he who rises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles hope. That's Isaiah 11.10. I'm not sure that we can understand here in Southwest Washington in 2022 the significance of Paul speaking to the Jewish people about the Gentiles and God's breaking down that wall. By Jesus putting others before himself, he broke down a wall of division between Jew and Gentile. He broke down a wall of division between Jew and Gentile. The Jews and the Gentiles had, and even to this day in some places in the world, they continue to have great disdain for each other, hatred for each other, But Jesus came to eradicate that barrier, that prejudice. He came to make one family in heaven of all the nations and all the ethnic groups on the planet. He merely used the Jewish culture to make that possible. And when Paul said Jesus became a servant to the circumcised, He's saying, Jesus came and was born into a Jewish family. He went through all the Jewish rites of circumcision and the Jewish law. He kept the law, all the law. He lived for 33 years in total obedience to the law because he was fulfilling the covenant that God had made with Abraham. That's what it says back there. Um, in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs. Jesus fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant on behalf of the Jews so he could give mercy to the Gentiles. He fulfilled the requirements of the old covenant on behalf of the Jews and he gave mercy to the Gentiles. The scriptures that Paul quotes are all promises to the Gentiles that they are going to be included in the plan of salvation. They were not part of the covenant that God made with Abraham. Other than that, God said to Abraham, through your seed I will bless all the nations of the world. God's plan is that we all be united under one banner, and that's the blood of Jesus Christ. Number eight, receive the blessing Paul prayed for you. Receive the blessing Paul prayed for you. Verse 13, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. (coughs) I don't know about you, but I have a hope this morning that cannot be extinguished. As I watch the economy, the inflation, I have no guarantee that the American dollar is going to survive. We might not have that same means of exchange because, well, I won't get all into that. I have no guarantee that the war in Ukraine will not evolve into World War III and that nuclear bombs will be dropped and the apocalypse that you see in movies 
becomes a reality. I have no guarantee of that. I have no guarantee that before this day I will not drop dead from a heart attack. But I do have a guarantee of eternal life. I have a guarantee of eternal life. That's my hope. That's my assurance. No matter what happens, no matter what happens, I can say, it is well with my soul. It is well with my soul. Paul prayed that you might have that hope. Do you have that hope today? Are you living in the joy and the peace that comes from knowing Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? It begins with a prayer. A prayer that we find in Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. And I know I repeat it often, but I want to make sure people know the gospel. If you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, and believe in your heart that place where you make decisions, your will, that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, with the mouth one confesses and is saved. Jesus is Lord. That means, Jesus, I'm giving you my life. I'm giving you my heart. Thank you for forgiving me my sins. Coming in and living in me by the power of the Holy Spirit and by God's grace, I'm going to follow you all the days of my life. This morning, I want to stand and I want to declare my hope. My hope is in you, Jesus.